Hello, my dear podcast listeners. Welcome to the Raise V Startup X podcast, the podcast that is able to further unlock the potential of startups by giving them a larger stage to share their story and value proposition and connect them with a broader audience. If you're an investor or strategic partner, you'll be able to listen to an audible startup pitch remotely and retain their content details right here. For fellow entrepreneurs working on or aspiring to initiate a startup, be sure to get all the ins and outs on how to start, build, pivot, and grow your business. In this episode, I will be talking to Sonar Haji, serial entrepreneur and currently the CEO of Pons a startup that provides early diagnostics and navigation technology with a focus on brain and spine injuries, as well as neurosurgeries. If you want to learn more about his transition from a corporate entrepreneur to an entrepreneur and how he co-created a mission to deliver affordable care to developing countries, make sure to listen all the way to the end. Sonar is a serial entrepreneur that founded several startups in the deep tech space across industries and regions. He has an extensive corporate background where he worked for Siemens Technologies for over 12 years and where he was responsible for business and strategy development in APAC, MENA, and emerging markets. He set up operations in three continents and generated over 50 million euro in revenue in just two years. Sonar was also selected as one of the best innovators under 40 and the best young energy professional in Europe in 2017 and in 2018. As of 2019, he's the CEO of Pons, which he co-founded with his twin brother. Pons, as I mentioned very briefly earlier, is a medtech startup that provides mobile and easy-to-use early diagnostics and navigation technology, focusing on brain and spine injuries and neurosurgeries. And they do so mainly in environments, situations, or geographies where high-tech healthcare devices cannot be used or bought. Sonar, welcome on our show. So I've recently been introduced to the propositions of Pons Technology. And I'm very happy to dive into those a bit more during this podcast and at the same time, learn more about the entrepreneurs behind these propositions. But before we do that, I would love to start with you as a person. Who is Sonar and how did becoming an entrepreneur come together for you? First of all, thank you for having me for today as well. And yeah, actually my journey about like in entrepreneurship started around uh, seven years ago. And before that, I was working like I think most of the people like in in big corporates like Siemens or other ones. And but I was always seeing that there is a problem to solve. But why those bigger companies are not really interested in those problems and they were just fixed in their own like existing industries. And to be honest, like I think they were also thinking like that will never change. So uh, everything will be the same and we are really big and the innovation is not happening that fast. And, uh, but then I see that, okay, like those problems can be solved in really innovative way, but fast way as well. And seven years ago, just, I started, okay, I will, I will just move from the corporate life into entrepreneurial life and especially focusing on solving problems that can be really solved on a not easy way, but fast way. And, but also that can affect like people's lives as well. It's not only trying to develop something to earn money, but more developing something that can really make change both on the on the climate, on the world, but also affecting and touching people's lives as well. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? And has that in any way transpired during your corporate career, for instance? 
Oh yeah, like in my part, it was always like that because even uh, during the time I was working in those big corporates, always I was like volunteering about if there was an issue, for example, okay, we would like to enter a new market, for example, we would like to search another country that we can, I was always like the one that was always raising hands. Okay, I can go to the country. I can look and search. I didn't like staying always in the office and doing this regular work, but I was always like, okay, can we do something new? Can we enter new markets? Can we integrate new opportunities as well. So, and even at that time, I was trying also to do something inside the company, but as you know, like the bigger the corporate gets, the, the more difficult it becomes. So, but that was always in my blood. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So really curious and wanting to be on the ground to be connected with the local markets and operations as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And in your introduction, you also share a quote by Abraham Lincoln, uh, which is, things may come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Tell us how you live by this quote and how that translates into your entrepreneurial endeavors. I love that one because it shows that if you like, you can achieve really a lot of things, but you should like always like trust in yourself and take the first step. And because if you don't do that, so there will always be ideas that never see the daylight. So, and, uh, but the ones that take those first steps and uh, they trust themselves, they are the ones that also leave a legacy as well. So that they are the ones that are saying that we did something and that happened and we created something. And right now that also affected even like a little bit change on the, in the world as well. It is not like you need to do a really huge thing that will change everything, but even some little things that you can do in really like small countries, small cities uh, that can affect. And I think that is the one that every entrepreneur actually, in my point of view, should follow. So really take action upon, for instance, your purpose or the entrepreneurial endeavors that you envision for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and was there a particular defining moment or period in your life where you decided to adopt this mindset? Yes, that was, as I remember, right, that was like right before I, I decided to quit my job. So, and, and then I said, okay, like make difference in, in the world as well, or I, I would like to leave something behind me. And, uh, and that was the point that I decided, okay, I will quit corporate life and move to entrepreneurial life and uh, also like be together with people that are really creating like innovative things as well. Like either it is art or tech or, uh, or other issues as well, or social entrepreneurship as well. So that was the moment that I said, okay, uh, I will do that. Perfect. Thank you. So you have an extensive background in corporate roles, as you just mentioned, where you, for instance, led a team of hundred engineers and you're also currently a serial entrepreneur. What did you experience as sort of like the biggest difference between those two career tracks? Oh yeah. It's like in my part, I was during that time, I was working like professionally in corporate. So I was responsible for different countries as well. And uh, like teams in different countries, building up new teams and managing them and then uh, moving to the new projects. But I think the biggest change is that uh, the speed that you need to have, because you don't have the uh, the security of a corporate take that, ah, okay, I have this big company behind me. I can do a small steps. And I can be relaxed and we can do it like next year. But the biggest difference is the speed. So even right now, it is moving on a much more faster way as well, even the, during COVID. But the first thing that I experienced is the, the readiness to change, the, the adaptation, being agile, 
And that is the biggest change. But also, like, I think you need to have a really strong psychological background as well. Because, for example, you, you, in the morning, you wake up in a different mood. In the evening, it's really different. So it is always up and downs, up and downs. And, uh, but that's also, that makes it fun as well. I right. Then the stakes are higher, basically. The risks are higher. And you don't necessarily have a safety net as an entrepreneur. But what made you still take on that journey then? What was the key driver for you to decide, I'm going to become an entrepreneur? I think in my part, it was like uh, solving problems. And because like in my case, I, I saw those problems, even like in, in different like energy efficiency, climate change issues, or right now with Pons health tech issues, I saw the problems and they were always there. Like it was not new problems that all, all of a sudden occurred, but they were always there. And solving some problems and then getting the feedback of the potential users or customers that like saying, okay, thank you that we solved that problem right now. It's more clear. And, uh, and that is seeing that actually that is right now, I think, keeping us moving on and uh, not stopping or not giving up. And I think that is always the case in, especially in, in startup world as well. Like mo I, can, I can say the most of them, they are not after the money. Of course, money is important, but. The satisfaction that the solving problems brings is much more higher than, okay, living on paycheck and paycheck or payrolls. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely one of the key traits that we observed in the startup sort of ecosystem. As, as an entrepreneur, you want to be able to solve problems and you want to be able to have that bigger purpose and have a positive impact on, for instance, the societal challenges in this case. So and what about the similarities? Are there any similarities between those two career tracks? What I will say, for example, if I speak with younger entrepreneurs or the ones that are like on the really early stages, so the biggest, I think, advantage that you have in the corporate life is the professional uh, lifestyle that you have, like uh, being like organized. It's not like, okay, all over uh, the place, but more organized, more disciplined. And then you need to like also know the steps and this kind of stuff. And that should be really also adapted to the startup life as well, because being a startup doesn't mean that you can do everything without doing it, without without preparing something, without like having these uh, life discipline or business discipline in your life. So uh, those should be similarities. But I also see that, especially in growing and scaling startups, that is becoming also really similar to corporate life. So the bigger they get, like the startups, they are more becoming on that part, they are more becoming the same as well, which is good. But of course, like they should never lose the momentum of innovating. Right. So the similarities would be to be process oriented, to have a proper structure for your startup as well. So the same way you would, would apply business in a corporate setting, uh, that would be something you would have to copy for your startup as well. Exactly. And we just tapped into it as well, but I'm just wondering if you could tell us a bit more about entrepreneurial endeavors as well. So looking at your entrepreneurial profile, someone that loves innovation and seeks to be the connector and create a bridge between technology and the human or the social aspects of our society. Did you feel you were able to to work with those energies and aspirations in a corporate setting? Uh, I think like it depends on the on the time as well, because like 10 years ago, it was not like that, to be honest. But for the last three or four years, it is also becoming like, especially in the corporates, like they are changing as well. And they are more engaged to work with startups or 
even to have like develop like entrepreneurships as well, not only uh, supporting external startups, but also like supporting entrepreneurship as well. And that is, I think, also changing. But maybe that could also be the case that younger generation is coming to the play as well. And and they are also like uh, trying to adapt those speed of change or innovation as well. And I think that's also right now a little bit much better than the 10 years before. But still, like it, there is a, a, some way to go. But I think also COVID showed that, that I think that's also one of the only maybe positive things that COVID brought as well, especially for these corporates that's showing them they cannot do it as they did five years, six years ago. Yes. If you look at your current position, you're sort of like on the other side of the table as an entrepreneur, and yet you still have to do business development with these large corporations. Do you feel you can be a bit more empathetic because you've been in both roles right now and you can understand the organization from inside out? Is that necessary? That is definitely necessary. So uh, I think that is also like helping in our case, especially in my case as well, so that I know which stages you go, you need to wait or you need to go and how the structure is there on the corporate side as well. So because some of the, for example, I know some startups that doesn't have that huge experience in professional life. They just start during the, they are in the college or just after they graduate. So they always think that, okay, I will do something. And then the next day or the next week, they will accept it. And then it will move really fast. But that is not happening usually. So in my case, that is helping a lot, especially because it is also really important to know which doors to knock as well or which level of the corporate to speak. So Decision maker. Yes, exactly. If you can be really lost, if you are trying to do something on that is not really on that focus on that part as well, but you just lost your really a lot of times but if you know how those companies are structured because your experience you can move some things more faster than uh, than usually if you don't have the knowledge about the other part of the table in your opinion how could organizations or corporations cultivate and ignite entrepreneurship a bit more looking at both sides Mm -hmm. I think to be honest, what I see that like in bigger corporates who are like really successful in that part, they are the ones which uh, like the C level is supporting all that one, all this process. As long as you have that support, like more or less unconditional support, then it's really moving. And because you need to, they there, you need to find a sponsor from those C levels, like. Uh, otherwise, it's it's really not moving on. So, uh, like, it starts really good, really positive. Then after a while, it stops and then it dies. But as long as there is really a big support on the C-levels, on the executives, then it is really moving fast. And it is really not, uh, also growing as well. And I think that's really, really important to engage those C-levels, but also to have their sponsorship as well, I call it. Like, they need to support it. So it's not like, okay, that is really a good hype. Everyone is doing, company X is doing, and we need to do it as well. It's not like that, but it's really, okay, that is something good, and we are supporting. It doesn't matter if it brings something or not, but that will stay there, especially also like, it's not like, okay, we will try it six months, and then we will see, then we will close it. But no, it should be like on a long-term basis as well. Yeah, there's a term for that, actually. It's, it's called innovation theater. So wanting to follow the hype of innovation activities, engaging with the startup ecosystem and displaying that to the external world, but not deriving these activities from well thought out and integrated innovation strategy that is tied to well-defined mid to long-term goals. So what you're saying is the C-level executives have to be aligned on the innovation strategy and really integrate that throughout the corporate culture, mindset of its employees and the framework that will ignite entrepreneurship. Yeah. So not just a nice to have. No, <laughs> exactly. They should not see it as a job. 
they should see it really as something that can make a difference. So also tying it into possibly their vision and mission and purpose? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Because that will also help them to see the other angle as well. It's not like, okay, seeing only one way, but also uh, looking up at the other way as well. Thank you for that. So if we go back to your transition into becoming a startup entrepreneur, what would you say were the biggest challenges you faced there and how did you overcome them? I think the biggest challenge is, I can just say it straightforward, because at the time that you are working in corporates, all the doors are open to you. So because you have this company at your back, you have its name, you have its brand, you have its reputation, you can go everywhere, everyone takes your calls, everyone replies to your emails, you can, you don't think about, okay, whether that will happen or not, you just go for it. So I think the biggest challenge was like, okay, we are just talking with the with those potential customers or partners as a startup is, I think you need to prove yourself. And it's really difficult for a young startup or young company uh, to prove and to go through that door to get meetings, to reply, to get response to your emails. And that was the biggest challenge that I saw because during the time that I was working on the corporate, so it was, it, it was nothing like I was thinking of, like, okay, that can be like the worst thing. I can call someone, they can arrange it and this kind of stuff. But I think that is also like the same um, with 80% of the, of the startup as well. That is to prove themselves, to get those approvals or to get something running. And in my case, it was also helping. That is, I think, also one of the positive things as well, bringing your network as well from, from the corporate life. And that is also like, of course, if you have a good reputation, that's also important. And, but uh, in my case, it helped a lot. So because I grew my network and uh, I bring my old connections and also like bring some uh, mentors and advisors right in the beginning as well. And I think that's also what most of the companies or startups are missing as well. They think that they are thinking that, okay, we should first grow to a certain level, then we can have these advisories, advisors or mentors, but they should start right in the beginning to get those advisors, convince them to be your uh, your mentors, your advisors. That is really opening up some doors much, much more faster. And that is also what we did in the very early days as well. So I'm just curious, would those advisors be brought in based on equity that you share as a startup? Is it rate-based? Or do these advisors offer their mentorship voluntarily as subject matter experts? Yeah. So that's a good question because like what we did or what I can suggest is like start as getting them as a mentors. And because usually like, you know, like 90% of mentorships, they are more and less free. So of course they cannot devote like uh, five hours a day or something like that, but even like a couple hours a week or month is also good. And then with those couple of mentors, you can decide which one to approach and say to him that, okay, uh, we are working good. And would you also be interested to get into in our advisory board? And in that part, I think you should also give something in exchange of uh, using their network or getting their, into their networks as well. In our case, we are definitely also uh, following up that road as well so that they can have like either a stock option for certain, of course, there are some goals to achieve and this kind of stuff, but uh, that will also engage them more, but also that's fair as well, because at the end of the day, they are also giving the, their time as well. And uh, because at the end of the day, you cannot pay those, uh, let's say, either former executives or these high-level people, the money that they really they need, really need or this kind of thing, because that is not something you can pay. But uh, compensating with the equities and this kind of stuff, that is really working well. And that's also what we are following up as well. And you just mentioned these advisors would have specific goals to achieve. Would that be related to their expertise levels or do you see them taking part in business development through their network and connections? 
So it is not directly driving business development, but more solving problems that you have, for example, or trying to introduce you to new network uh, or or to bring even like new people to the team as well. So those kind of stuff, especially because at the end of today, you cannot expect that advisors will sell your tech or your business, but more solving problems that you have. But also if you need some introductions, they can do it and they can reach out to some decision makers, or if they have like, for example, good connections with the governments, they can introduce you to that circle. So those are the ones I think that are much more valuable as well for, uh, instead of like, of course, like generating revenue is good, but I think uh, like growing your network and even like growing your brand awareness is also like important and that can achieve by working with them. Yeah. So just to summarize, the biggest challenges you face in your journey as an entrepreneur, starting a new company is not having that safety net similar to to what you would have in a corporate setting. Uh, it was certainly not easy. You really had to prove yourself from scratch yeah. and build yes. that credibility in a portfolio of your work. But you solved that by bringing in your network and by surrounding yourself with the right mentors and advisors exactly. that further helped you to possibly de-risk the business proposition exactly. and support you through introductions. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> What would you say were your biggest lessons? Oh, biggest lesson is I can answer that straightforward. Like don't raise money too early. So, and that is really important because sometimes you feel that, oh, okay, I need to raise an investment. I need money. And it sometimes is not the good choice. So you can hold on as long as you should. And that is one of the mistakes that I did early on before pawns and we raised too early and then the really early stage investors they were not also like way hands-on investors and also never accept only financial investments so always accept money or investment from investors that are also ready to be hands-on as well because like getting an investment is not that difficult but everything starts after that and because it's like now it is at the end of the day, not a free money that they invest. It is at the end of the day, they are becoming your partners. You are more or less marrying with them. So it is not like the other day you can say to them, okay, I don't want to do it anymore. And therefore you should really be careful in that part and always only accept money from, they call it like, you know, the smart money. So, and always accept investors, money from investors that are already also like in your existing industry either. Or they are ready to also like really help you as well. So work with you, open up your new doors, introduce you to new people. That is really important. And that was the biggest lesson learned from me in the, in the early days. <laughs> so don't raise money or um, request for funding too early as an entrepreneur. And if you do, make sure you, you get investors on board that are hands-on and are willing to support you on that journey as well. And possibly also expose you to for instance, the right network and expertise in, in your specific area. Okay. And any other tips for fellow entrepreneurs listening with regards to either your biggest challenges or some lessons? Also, I think right now, like, because that is also really important, have, definitely don't start one-man show. You must have a co-founder. So, and because if you are a solo founder, that is like 1 million times more difficult. So you need to have like either find someone through networks, which is right now, I think a little bit more easier even, and start something like at least with two people or even better three people and don't do it like as a solo founder. That will never work. And you will have just much more difficulties to go through all these processes. And uh, that will be the second advice that I will give. 
Okay, thank you. And earlier on, you also spoke about having uh, the mental viability as an entrepreneur. Why, why is that important? So in the morning, you can wake up with positive energies. At the end of the day, you can be drained. Yes, exactly. And at the end of the day, you, will, you can find you like <laughs> drinking bottle of... <laughs> uh, but because I think that's really important because you cannot accept in an entrepreneurial life that, okay, I will... I will get my paycheck every month and that will be the same. I have this safety and people like things will go wrong. Definitely. Like it is not, it is impossible not to, not to experience that, uh, but you should be strong. You should not give up too early and you should also not be really too pessimistic as well. You should, you should somehow be positive. And that is also, for example, one of the things that is important to have a co-founder as well, because sometimes he can support you or she can support you or sometimes the other way around. So Therefore, I think because, of course, you dream and you have like passion before you start. But if you are on the market, if you launch, then everything can go the other way around as well. You should not lose that belief in yourself and you should not also lose that momentum, that track that you have. And that is the reason why you should really have a strong mental preparation before you start as well, because that will not be easy, right, as I said. It's not going to be an easy ride and you need your mental well-being to balance things out and, and to weather those storms, basically, if they occur. Yes. So what else do you do as an entrepreneur to keep you, your life well-balanced and mentally healthy in that process? Mm -hmm. Like I do different things, actually. So, for example, like uh, you should have, for example, in my case, a movie or something that you really like and that can also help you to be more positive or it can also be a song. So and depending on what you like. So, I, for example, if I am really in a bad mood or something happens so that I need to be more positive or like then I either watch one of my favorite movies that I watch 10 times or 20 times, no matter. And uh, but also, like, I just listen to music or, or do sports a lot. So do something that you really like throughout your... I think everyone has something. Like, either they go for a run and they do, like, they go to fitness or, of course, during right now, it's impossible. But uh, something, like, in my case, I, I have, like, a favorite movie. And uh, so that helps me a lot. So it sounds my mood and then uh, it's go, okay. <laughs> Very good. So really finding that leisure activity that you want to do and then do it to make sure you're balanced out and i hear physical activity as well as eh? so mental oh, yeah. well-being and physical yeah. well-being is, is very important for that process definitely yeah very well thank you so you were just talking about your co-founder as well so in your latest startup ponds your current startup ponds your co-founder is also your twin brother so how does working with a family member differ from any other co-founder or employee yeah, that is uh, an interesting experience, to be honest. Like, uh, of course, there's also like a, an advantage that he is my twin brother. So uh, like we can think uh, <laughs> the same things if we are even in different uh, circumstances. So that is helping. But on the other hand, I think it's also like interesting to, of course, like it's not easy to work with family members. But uh, I think if you are brothers or siblings or uh, that is a little bit easier. But I think in our case, that is like, uh, we are more or less a perfect match because I am on the more business side. He's a researcher from universities. He's still in the university. So that is more because he was not really interested on the business side. So 
it took me like three years to convince him to do the spin-off. So uh, that is helping us. Like I think that's also like somehow the perfect match. As I said, he is on the really focused on tech and research. I am focused on business. So then we can like really match each other. Complement each other. Yes, definitely. So that is also helping. But on the other hand, if something goes wrong, I just call my mom and no, it's like Okay, mommy, you gotta moderate between the two of us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, like that's the funny part. But I think it's also like good because at the end of the day, we have the same uh, goal and same background that we would, why we would like to do it. uh, That is helping. So how did that go about in terms of deciding to set up a startup together? So you mentioned he's in research, you're obviously on the business development side. Was there any particular defining moments that made both of you decide now we want to do this together? Is that again solving a problem that you identified? Yes, that was actually solving a big problem. And because we were thinking about that, like uh, not recently, it was uh, like 10 years ago. It started 10 years ago because because there is a big problem, especially in, in health industry, like especially in early diagnostics and potentially, uh, especially on brain and spine injuries. So, and 10 years ago, we lost our father because of that, because there was this missing part for giving the paramedics or like first responders a tool that they can use also outside the hospital so that they can they don't lose very valuable time and especially for brain injuries these first 10 to 20 minutes is the time frame that decides between life and uh, death so and and that was the point that we started actually working thinking of it so uh, because my brother he was always like on biomedical technologies he was always involved in like uh, computer aided surgery systems or image processing for biomedical and medical technologies and that was the point that because that there was the is missing part for in ambulances and and we they lost like a really valuable time and then uh, we lost our father and then we were speaking about that with really a lot of people and the feedback was always the same oh yes i lost my uh, someone that is that was close to me and uh, we were all also speaking with like those first responders teams what they do so the feedback was always the same and then we said that okay we should work on that something like that and uh, it was also during the last couple of years it's just uh, we find out that that is not only like a problem that is like concerning really small a circle but it's really a global problem and like for example five billion people globally they don't have access to those kind of diagnostics tools so if you think that five billion no it's not possible like but that's really the number like that's a large number of people that are running into that yes. problem area. Yes, exactly. So because having like developing a easy, simple to use, affordable solution can make a difference really uh, to do and can impact really lives. It's not about also only like uh, developing something that can be valuable about like on the money side. But if you see that reports, like uh, you don't think that 5 billion people are affected because because you always think that I know the hospital, I can go to the hospital. They have like CTs, MRIs and this kind of, but there is also like another another page as well that is affecting really big communities. And at the end of the day, that is, that is really a big problem. And that is the reason why we started. Uh, developing pawns and uh, decided to spin off the company and make the product available to everyone, not only for developed countries, but especially for developing countries. That is really important, but also for first responder teams as well. They are working in enormous pressure, but they don't have the tools. They still have the tools like they used it 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and they are losing really valuable time as well. And that was the reason actually why we said, okay, that is becoming an important problem. 
and that needs to be solved in order to provide something, in order at least to give a chance to the people that they can uh, use that and save lives, but also like prevent them being paralyzed or having these really huge rehabilitation time as well. Yes. And thank you for sharing that as well. So due to the very unfortunate events of this particular disease area impacting your father and therefore passing away, um, and I'm very sorry to hear that, uh, but it was sort of a wake-up call where both of you wanted to combine your knowledge and know-how from the business side as well as the biomedical research expertise to help solve the healthcare problem our society is dealing with. Yes. This also includes making sure it is affordable and accessible to people in developing countries, but also is really supporting the medical professionals that are apparently still running into that problem when providing that care as well. And that is also a bit surprising because if you can save time and therefore ultimately also save lives just by introducing this medtech proposition, you'd want to integrate that right away. Definitely, because the like it is interesting. For example, we find out that especially like because there is right now a lot of a, a huge need for early and mobile diagnostic systems, and and utilizing ultrasound, and you know in our case like these really simple technology that is on the market for the last forty years, but integrating AI and machine learning and making it more mobile that can also like help hospitals to reduce overcrowding hospitals as well. And for example, we did a research that. 11 million hours can be saved in emergency rooms. So like that can help like nurses, that can help doctors, that can reduce the use of CTs, MRIs, and that can also prevent overcrowding those hospitals as well, which is all, uh, this is a connected system. And uh, and it's also like, as you said, like interesting that that part till today, like till this year, it was not really focused. So everyone was focused on, okay, we need to have like a new, robotic surgery system and we need to have like a bigger robotic surgery system or this kind of stuff that is important that's really important and very valuable but that is only solving really like a small part of the problem so but there is bigger problem that that can be solved in a really easy way as well and that is our focus yeah, i think this is also something i want to elaborate on instantly want to think of because we just spoke about entrepreneurship in large corporations but then entrepreneurship should also be part of that patient journey or key opinion leader journey, the healthcare professional journeys, you know, what does that look like? What tools do they use? What processes? What data? What technology? How is it helping them, uh, you know, do their jobs, basically? You know, it's, it's quite interesting. Where should that come from, that particular innovation in terms of transforming healthcare, adopting and integrating technology a bit more? We need stakeholders from all sides. So on the ground, the front lines, but also the key decision makers and management and physicians, et cetera, but also really innovators that are able to come up with these solutions. So it's, it's quite interesting for the healthcare space. It's, it's a bit more difficult. Like you need external startups that run into these key defining moments to start saying, now we're going to do something about it. So it's, it's quite interesting. Yes, exactly. I think that's really important what you say, especially like trying to speak with those people that have the problems and not only thinking like your way. Oh, okay. For example, I'm a good technical guy and I will create something, but at the end of the day, if that is something that not, no one needs and that will bring also nothing. But if you speak with those people or at least if you have like experience like we had, then that is really solving a problem. So really including your end user or the patient in, in this case or the key opinion leader. Oh, yes. Yeah. I would love for us to now learn more about PONS and its propositions. So let's dive into to that. Tell us a bit more about PONS. What is its value proposition and what products or services are you currently providing? 
Yeah, sure. Pons is an easy to use, affordable mobile diagnostics tool focusing on brain and spine injuries and providing like first responders and paramedics a tool that they can use anywhere, anytime for reducing the misdiagnostics and uh, helping them to save time and lives. And what we do is basically we are reinventing traditional ultrasound technology and applying AI so that they become a mobile tool for diagnostics, but also a navigation system for those uh, field first responders as well. I had a look at your deck, obviously, and you have several modules available, right? W would you be able to, to clarify the separate propositions? Definitely. So we are focused on two main focuses, like one, the traumatic brain and spine injuries that needs to be tackled on the field and providing phones for those uh, first responders. And secondly, also like a non-robotic and non-invasive uh, navigation tool that every hospital can use it because most of the hospitals, they cannot afford these expensive systems as well. But providing, especially neurosurgeons, this navigation tool that they can use during the, uh, during the surgery, that can help them also like to make more precise surgeries, but also help them to reduce the surgery time. And that is also affecting the whole process on the healing and rehabilitation as well. So. We have these two main focuses, like first, the navigation system, and secondly, also like these pre-hospital diagnostics tool that we are right now developing. And the navigation system would be predominantly data, real-time data that they're using inside the hospital. Yes, inside the hospital and during the surgery. So that because especially like, because right now we are developing these ultrasound technologies so that they can be used also during the hospital in a really easy way as well. You got the, like during the hospital, you got the images. And the system constantly processes that and gives like a pre-operative and after-operative screens and images to the surgeon so that it can see how the procedure goes on and whether they are really on the right spot and whether they are moving to the right spot. And especially for focusing on difficult surgeries, not every kind of surgery, but like spine surgeries and brain surgeries. And so that they can, they can have this tool that can be used really if easy way. Uh, but most importantly, that is affordable. That is that is our goal. We don't want to develop a really expensive technology that can only be used in a couple of hospitals and big hospitals, uh, but more on the smaller, medium-sized hospitals, but also hospitals that are serving like, like underserved communities, but also like low-income communities as well. We've already tapped into this briefly, but what problem statement are you trying to tackle by offering your propositions? And how are you ultimately expecting to create value for your stakeholders? Today, we need to provide first responders and doctors a, a tool, technology that they can use anytime, anywhere, instantly. And for diagnostics of potential risks, and especially outside the hospital. Because what we find out is that, that that's a big problem all around the world. So like 5 billion people, they don't have access to smart diagnostics or smart health systems. But that is also directly connected with a huge cost in every country's budget as well like uh, according to the studies like 12 trillion dollars is invested in those funds like only be in order to provide those people like an accurate healthcare but that can be also like prevented if they have like an early diagnostics tool that they can reduce the risks and so that they don't need to go and overcrowd those hospitals as well and and i think this is becoming a huge problem especially in developing countries and because uh, like European Union or UNICEF, they are all like trying to solve that problem. But uh, at the end of the day, what we find out, like, especially if you can reduce the, if you can use like preventive systems so that they can be used on site, not in the hospital, that can save a lot of money, uh, but that can also save a lot of time. 
and either in the ER room, but also for the doctors as well. Uh, because this image processing, this medical image processing is still mostly die by, done by human. And that takes a lot of time that needs more big, big and expensive devices as well. But uh, developing these small and mobile tools and uh, creating a connected system that the system learn can learn, then can train himself, but also share the results with different doctors as well. That can really help reduce those those costs, but also save much more lives as than trying to do it with traditional systems. So a lot of ways Pons is creating value for its stakeholders. It's reducing time and therefore also saving lives. It's improving the flow of patients and processes inside the hospital. So operational excellence, reducing costs is, is what I hear. And you're creating value through interoperability by using and leveraging data and making sure the data is shared across devices and platforms yes. for it to create transparency, for instance, yes. interconnectedness, and for it to allow yeah. for early detection and faster decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one that I want to highlight is one that's also very important, which is the deliberate decision to, to ensure those solutions are affordable and yeah. accessible for those in need in developing countries and for the model to be able to be replicated into underserved communities. Well, that is perfect spot on. Because uh, like, for example, in our case, we uh, we are also right now committing to provide like 25% of our production in our development uh, to Doctors Without Borders or UNICEF and so that they can use uh, those text tools in really difficult circumstances that they are trying to help people, especially in like Africa or immigration center centers and or in war zone workplaces or that they need to they work or they are volunteering to work. And we are also committed to provide them uh, those our technologies so that they can use it for free. And but they can that can that can help them to especially save a lot of time, which is much much more important in those places as well. Take us through sort of a visual of how the products and services would be used by medical professionals in developing countries. Let's say there are no established hospitals and the care needs to be delivered in a rural area. How would they use it and what would that look like? So in our case, that's the reason, for example, why we are developing everything so that they can, it can be used on, on a mobile way. So you don't need to have these big expensive systems or devices. So it is basically like a, a portable prop, ultrasound prop or ultrasound patch that we are developing and an integrated, directly integrated to either mobile phones or either tablets that they can use anytime, anywhere. And, and the system is doing the rest. So it is like processing the image. It is analyzing the image and giving results for, and also providing potential risk levels because at the end of the day, the system learns as well. But very important, another tool is that those doctors, even if they are, for example, inexperienced doctors, they can share in real time the results with a really experienced doctor like that is based in U.S. or Germany so that they can have their feedback as well instantly. And I think that's also like helping them. That will also help them a lot because if they are all, for example, working in a village and right in the middle of Africa, they can do it. Or if they are working on an immigration center that they, they cannot afford those expensive systems. But everyone has these mobile phones. Everyone is connected and the system can provide them those feedbacks that they can use like for at least diagnostics, a potential risk and what is happening or and, and then give the results and then act accordingly. So the healthcare professionals on the ground in a developing country would need at least a healthcare patch as sort of like the interface and then the mobile device. Yes, exactly. Like the ultrasound system and uh, that we have, it's, it's basically like a really like small patch kind of thing that they can use it very simple way. 
they just stick it and then uh, the system starts monitoring and scanning whether like potential brain problems or like spine problems or they can also use in in other parts of the body as well so that it is constantly giving them results mm -hmm. and the technologies that are being leveraged for these propositions are iot and ai i'm assuming is that correct so machine learning in this case Yes, it is uh, machine learning, like focusing on medical image processing and uh, a traditional ultrasound technology that we are utilizing. So we are, we are basically converting the ultrasound technology into AI-driven smart diagnostics tool. Okay. And as a customer, to be able to start adopting these technologies and propositions, what would they need and, and how can you help them in that process of adopting these technologies? I think it is like, because we were talking with a lot of doctors, first responders, paramedics, and they are really ready to adapt it because they are the ones that are feeling the pain as well, because they also would like to help those patients. And they would like to also directly be connected to the hospital on the way to the hospital so that they cannot lose time. They don't need to like explain everything. The system can explain itself. And I think interestingly, they are much more ready than anyone else. So, but one important thing is that they want to use really easy to use these systems, not like really difficult systems that they need to like work on it or they cannot like use anywhere, but really small devices, small systems that doesn't need to be like a rocket science kind of things. But like, that's the reason why we are like focusing on converting that into a patch version and so that they can really use it. And I think that is also what they want and what they need as well. Yeah. So just to summarize, on you've already mentioned that, but PONS is basically providing pre-hospital diagnostic system of traumatic brain and spine injuries already in the ambulance, so pre-hospital visit, or even on-site before the transportation to the hospital. So what have you selected as your addressable market or segments to focus on? Because I hear hospital, but I also hear developing countries. Any particular market segments you're looking at? So we are focused on, as you said, like ambulances, first responder teams, but also pre-health care centers. So uh, not like hospitals, but more like that's also becoming a new norm as well, like these retail care centers or even like bigger pharmacies. So we are focusing on anything outside the hospital, especially like on the bigger hospitals, so that we can help those hospitals being or reducing the crowd and reducing the visits on the, to the ER. And, but also our, the regions that we are focused on, of course, like it is North America, Europe, but on a social impact, impact basis as well, we are looking for helping these developing countries to provide that solution as well. So AI expertise and the adoption of medtech propositions in the healthcare space, as we, we just mentioned, is, is increasing. But given the, the safety and compliance measures and regulations, and it's rightfully associated longer decision-making process, it could be difficult enter that space. So as a startup seeking to converge technology into the space, how do you carefully select and approach the right stakeholders and decision makers to promote your propositions? I totally agree on that because especially in medical technologies or healthcare, healthcare technologies, it is much longer roadmap as well. So you cannot say that, okay, I will launch tomorrow or next week or something like that. You need to convince a couple of people, like either stakeholders, decision makers, and researchers, academic people as well, and doctors, uh, anyone that has somehow involved it. Because at the end of the day, 
think it is not like you lose money, you can lose life, so which is really much, much more critical. And um, in our case, the reason why we are a little bit more further, because before we started, with, we have we talked with a lot of people, like at least 200, 250 people from different segments, not only focused on one type of people, but we have been speaking with hospital owners, we have been speaking with government people, we have been speaking with first responder teams, neurosurgeons, like professors, and anyone that was involved in some part of this process. And so that we can combine everything and then we can create something that can help that will be an end-to-end solution, not just only solving one type of problem for specific people, but then connecting all those dots and so that it can create an, a solution that everyone can benefit from it. And that is all, that was also our approach as well. Before we started everything, we just were speaking like for six months, seven months and those people and then getting their feedback and developing the business model on those feedbacks. And our approach approach is also like having these strategic partnerships, not like directly going to those end users or customers, but more developing these strategic partnerships so that way we can provide constantly, develop constantly the, the innovation further as well, so that it can develop, it can train himself, it can be more effective in, in the future as well. So you've basically zoomed in and zoomed out at the same time into the journey of the healthcare professional where you proactively engage with the key stakeholders and integrated their insights and need states in sort of a holistic solution for all stakeholders. Yes, exactly. We also attended, for example, a lot of conferences as well, so that we can also get feedback and hear what they are speaking and also give our feedback as well. And uh, that is also helping a lot in on the way. In this space, taking the somewhat complex nature of this field into account, what would be the key critical success factors? I think specifically in our case, it is giving a tool that is really helping, that is also like helping them to achieve something as well. It's not like it's something that, that is nice to have, but it is more becoming a must to have as well. So, and that will be our key KPI as well. So that phones is becoming something must to have instead of like, okay, that can be, that is good to have. We can have it, but okay, we can live without it as well, but more it is becoming a key factor in especially pre-hospital diagnostics tools. As that is also our end goal as well, to position points as a key technology that is used on a pre-hospital or on-site diagnostics. So going back to, to Pons, can you briefly describe your business model? Yeah, in Pons, in the beginning, we decided that we will develop strategic partnerships and in different verticals, like partnership with health tech platforms that are already providing technology solutions for hospitals or ambulances or field responders. Also for it, medical technologies companies that need to have these diagnostics part or division, or even insurance companies that are also willing to use those kind of preventive tools to reduce their costs. So that is our business model and go-to-market strategy as well, to, to directly uh, partner up with those the different um, companies and then uh, license pawns uh, to them and the pawn solution to them so that they can integrate to their existing systems, but also promote pawns to their existing customer or new customer network as well. And in what startup phase is pawns in right now? 
So right now, we were close to start uh, the next phase of clinical trials in the beginning of 2020. But because of COVID, like uh, obviously it stopped the whole process for a long time because we, right now we cannot pursue the, doing these clinical trials and uh, especially in those research hospitals. But we are developing it, the system further. And right now we are also working on partnerships with, especially with uh, biomedical technologies labs so that we can also work on their labs and especially work on uh, like different models as well so to develop the further the system further and our roadmap is will be starting clinical trials in the beginning of 2021 and then simultaneously also work on the fda approvals as well so that we are planning to be on the market by the end of next year so in terms of the fda approvals for a medical device in this case it would be approximately a year correct Yes, yes, because our part is we have the advantage that the pawn system is classified as class two, uh, so that we have a shorter, like a little bit easier roadmap on the FDA approval. So they have these right now fast track, especially for technologies on uh, focusing on diagnostics, so so that they can they can be a little bit more faster on the market. Because I think COVID also showed that uh, there is this huge need for this early diagnostics tool as well, and therefore the whole process is a little bit more elevated as well. In terms of the resources Pons is currently looking to source to be able to scale, what would that be? So we are, especially in our case, because it is really a niche market and like a focused market as well, we are looking for two types of collaborations. And one, of course, uh, partnerships and for uh, also for research partnerships, either uh, with universities that, uh, that are also working on the same field, and but also strategic funding as well. Like, as I said, like we are looking for investors that are really focused on medical technologies or health tech technologies that can provide uh, not only financial health, Help, but also provide the necessary network as well so that we can speak directly with decision makers in health industry, but also with the people that are willing to promote and use the system as well. And that is our roadmap as well, to raise our first seed round with those investors, but also in the, in the meantime, develop the, the partnerships models with the different research centers as well. So aside to propositions mentioned earlier, PONS also supports Doctors Without Borders, UNICEF and the Red Cross. Tell us a bit more about that, about those partnerships. Yeah, that is really important for us because we would, as I said in the beginning, we would like to create that is something that is really impacting uh, human life as well. Because And what we saw is like those people, they are really sacrificing a lot. So Doctors Without Borders and Red Cross and UNICEF doctors, and they are willing to work in those difficult circumstances. And the people that they are working for is they really need also have access to at least to some systems or tools that, that helps them to reduce the risk of dying or to optimize the potential uh, cure process as well. And therefore, we decided that we will donate every one sold device and uh, also to those doctors or to those programs or associations as well. Uh, That means that if we sell one device in a country, we will donate one device to those people as well so that they have at least a tool that they can use and that can help them to reduce time, actually, so, so that they can serve and they can look and they can work with other patients as well. Very good initiative. But I don't recall seeing that information being displayed on your website. 
it would be good to to also integrate that as well and possibly also invite other partners that would like to support you in that initiative? Yeah, we will do it because right now we just started it and we are also speaking with World Bank and with these kind of foundations as well that are willing to support, hopefully. And also we are open to anyone that is also willing to support our mission as well to provide those people with the necessary tools that they can use. And we will definitely have maybe even another landing page for that as well. In terms of the division and mission, what impact is Pond seeking to have mid and long term? So on the midterm, we are uh, like our goal and also like mission is to reduce the time that is spent in hospitals and especially in ER rooms so that we can help actually save more times, uh, but also connected to that save, of course, lives. And But on the long run, we would like to develop a connected health system that is like one system that fits all. So especially like focusing on, because I think it's also like becoming a new norm that there should be like, like that happened in energy industry as well. So these decentralized energy hubs or energy grids as well so instead of trying to have built big energy plants they are right now looking for having these decentralized systems and i think that is also happening or should happen in the health tech industry as well so instead of having bigger and bigger hospitals but more expensive hospitals there should be a decentralized systems and that is also our long-term goal as well to create a decentralized health system that is connected and that is sharing also their uh, the results and that is our, also our long-term mission as well, to create these uh, smaller hubs and the decentralized systems, and then a connected system that can constantly learn from itself and then reduce the time and, or reduce the need for really big hospitals as well, so that only the ones they can use the hospital that they are really, really needing it. So that is our also long-term mission as well, to create this kind of system. In terms of geographic strategies, I can imagine if you want to create these decentralized hubs, it's more difficult to provide that infrastructure or build that infrastructure on a global level. Is there any strategy behind that right now? Are you currently focusing on US, for instance, and then scaling it to other regions? Yeah, we are, of course, like starting up in the US and scaling up on the, to the other regions like Southeast Asia, APEC and Europe as well. But also, as you know, like 5G is really moving on as well. And that is also that will also create that huge shift from this traditional environment into more this connected system. And I think one of the biggest approaches that 5G has or effects 5G has will have is creating those decentralized hubs as well. And that is also one of the things that we are following up. Great. Thank you so much, Sonar. So before we wrap up this very interesting talk, for potential investors, strategic partners, and fellow entrepreneurs to reach out, where can they find you? So the best way to find me is, uh, of course, through one LinkedIn. I am really active over there, but also if they really want to uh, also directly reach me on a private level. So uh, my email is sonar at pawnstack.co and they can just directly email me and speak about more detail. And I'm happy to connect and reply and bounce as well. And he's very responsive, by the way. Yeah. You can expect a response within 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Sonar, I really want to thank you so much for sharing all of your insights, your story with us, and the next steps for Pons. And thank you for, for being on this mission to, to help us solve some of the societal problems and for making sure that your solutions are also accessible and affordable for, for those in need. Uh, and thank you again for uh, taking us through the propositions of your startup. I personally really enjoyed it and learned a lot, uh, and I'm pretty sure our audience will as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us today. 
and uh, wish you all the best with the next steps for Pons. Thank you very much for having me as well. It was really great. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, thank you very much. <laughs> My dear podcast listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. Make sure to share it with someone who's potentially interested in connecting with the startup. And if you want to learn more about upcoming valuable startup propositions and how they're impacting our society, make sure to subscribe here or follow our LinkedIn and Twitter page for updates. For more information on the firm behind this podcast, please visit www.pacev.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, and until next time.